Okay, it is recording. I have President Mearns here from Ball State University. Wonderful guy. I've already got to meet him a little bit. Can you start off, President Mearns, with giving a little brief background? Sure, it's good to be with you, Hunter. So uh, my name is Jeff Mearns, and I have the good fortune to serve as the president here at Ball State University. Actually, this month when we're recording this uh, is my fourth year anniversary. I've been here since May of of 2017 and uh, really have found it, notwithstanding some of the challenges of the pandemic, have found it to be uh, tremendously rewarding. So as I always say, I, it, I have the good fortune to serve as the president of Ball State. Yeah, and you've been a wonderful president since I've been here and it's awesome that you've been the president. Um, I'm in my junior year now, so you've been the president the entire time I've been here, which is awesome. What made you become the president or like maybe apply to becoming the Ball State president? So I, I've been in higher education administration since about, uh, since I started in 2005. Before that, I was actually a trial lawyer for more than 15 years, but then had been in higher education, as I say, since 2005. Um, at the time I applied to be the president of Ball State, I was the president at Northern Kentucky University a public university um, just across the river from Cincinnati in Northern Kentucky. What, um, what, there were several things that, that prompted me to, to apply to be the president here. Uh, one was uh, the quality of the educational programs, the quality of the students, uh, the uh, vitality and strength of the campus. But frankly, the, the most attractive uh, aspect for me was our commitment to the enduring values that are represented by beneficence. And, uh, you know, to me, and I know we'll talk about this a little bit more, a commitment to those kinds of values, the way that those values infuse everything that we do, uh, every decision that we make, every program that we develop, those values that, that are articulated and represented by uh, beneficence resonated with me personally. And I wanted to be a part of an institution that had those kind of values. And as I say, we can talk about it a bit more, but one piece of advice that I share with others, particularly students who are contemplating the next stage in their career is, yeah, you wanna look at an organization, you wanna see what the job description is, what your job responsibilities are. But I think the most important thing when you're looking for a professional opportunity or a personal relationship is do the people in that organization share your personal values. That alignment, that fit is so critical to finding uh, a job that's not only allows you to be successful, but allows you to find fulfillment. Yeah, that's an awesome answer and good advice. I, I appreciate that because that makes sense to making sure your values and their values align so you can grow as a person. Um, very good. I, I like that a lot. Um, how did you prepare for such a big position? It seems like that'd be a long process to become a university president. Well, so I say I'll, I'll rewind the tape uh, back a little bit. As I mentioned, uh, after I graduated from law school, I was a trial lawyer for more than 15 mm -hmm. years. I spent nine years in the Justice Department as a federal prosecutor and then more than seven or eight years in private practice before I went into higher education in 2005. And my first job in higher education was as Dean of the law school at Cleveland State University in Cleveland. Uh, and then four years after that, a new president promoted me to serve as the provost of Cleveland State, 
The provost, as you know, is the chief academic officer is responsible yep. for helping to support the deans and the department chairs and the faculty in the core academic part of the administration. And then I spent five years, nearly five years as the president of Northern Kentucky University. So those, um, those positions helped me understand uh, the industry of higher education, you know, how their structure, how the budgets work. Um, but frankly, I think it was the, some of the skills and experiences that I had as a trial lawyer that also uh, prepared me. Um, you know, there's a perception about trial lawyers that they have to be articulate and know how to, to talk. And certainly being good at written advocacy and oral advocacy is important. But for me, the best skill of a trial lawyer is actually listening. Listening to the witnesses describe their account of the critical events. Uh, listening to a witness who you're gonna conduct a cross-examination of. Uh, listening to a judge who's asking you questions, listening to prospective jurors during the jury selection process. And so I found in my leadership positions uh, that it's very important to be able to listen to people, to understand their perspective. Um, the second thing I'd say is, uh, and again, learning this through, through as a trial lawyer, the right balance between being humble and knowing that there are certain things you don't know and relying on guidance and expertise from others, coupled with a sufficient amount of self-confidence because you do at the end of the day have to make decisions. And so knowing how to calibrate that balance of when to pause and to deliberate and to think and to be humble, coupled with enough self-confidence to, to make some, some key decisions. And a lot of that uh, experience came to me uh, as a trial lawyer, and I've applied it now in higher education. That's that's awesome. I've been reading about that. I've been reading a lot of books this semester, and I read about that in um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I don't know if you've heard of that book by Dale Carnegie, really good book. And it talks about what you said, just like listening to people because they end up liking you a lot more. If you're intrigued in the conversation, you're getting to know more, know more about them rather than tell them about yourself. I find that interesting. Uh, did you what uh, did you graduate from Stanford? Is that what I? No, I on my undergraduate. I did my undergraduate education at Yale, and then I went to the University of Virginia for law. Okay, it was okay. It was Yale. That's what it was. That's that's yeah. awesome. I, yeah, Yale was accredited. I I think Stanford's still working on their accreditation. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> um. So how have you excelled in your position since May 2017? Because I know that's when you officially got the position. Yeah, so, so I would say I've had the good fortune to inherit a strong leadership team and also the good fortune to, uh, to attract others to join our leadership team. And so I, I think to me, uh, the, one of the most important things I can do in my position is to enable the institution uh, throughout the organization to attract quality people, people with a passion for our mission and who share our values. So the success that I think we've enjoyed over the last four years is clearly the product of a team effort. And uh, my one of my principal responsibilities to, is to ensure alignment with a strategic plan. And so I've, as I said, I've had the good fortune. We've got what, 3,500, 3,600 faculty and staff 
Uh, they're the ones day in and day out that are doing the great work out in the classrooms, in the laboratories, out in the community, working with our students, working with our friends and neighbors. As I say, my job is to try to just help uh, support and enable their success. That makes sense. Um, I've always wondered, what, what does a normal day for you look like? I'm sure it's there's days where it's chaotic, there's days where it's uh, laid back, but I was wondering like a brief rundown of like what usually your days entail. Yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't say too many of my days are laid back. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would say. But, but I do disconnect from time to time. So it's hard to describe a normal day. So for example, uh, yesterday, the day was exclusively internal meetings. Um, it was a lot of conversations, of course, a lot on Zoom, a couple in person as we make this transition back to to something that's more normal. Uh, but today is a very different day. In addition to recording this, um, I have two other presentations to make and then tonight down in Indianapolis uh, am delivering a speech to, uh, to a civic organization in Indianapolis. So, you know, the days vary. Um, you know, actually today I'm also recording a video message to our faculty and staff, a kind of an end of year video message. So. Um, the last 14 months have really not been normal because these kinds of events we really haven't been having. Um, but so my my that kind of in-person calendar will start to, to ramp up. But uh, so it's usually pretty, uh, my schedule is usually pretty full, but uh, I get energy from, from these kind of conversations and from engaging with people. So I'm looking forward to it. I feel a little bit like I've been cooped up for 14 or 15 months and missing that uh, that kind of human interaction, which is part of how I derive my energy. Yeah, I feel like a lot of us too, especially being a college student, like um, it was, it's finally nice having that hybrid though, where I was able to go to a class and I was like, finally able to enjoy the college atmosphere of being in a classroom again. And like, I learned better in classroom. So it just worked out having that hybrid. Um, it's definitely a challenge, but it's an obstacle to try to get over. I don't think, I mean, everyone was having a hard time, but it was, it's definitely, I like in person a lot better, like you said. Yeah. Uh, and how do you stay productive throughout the day? It seems like being a university president, you got your hands full constantly, and it can kind of be overwhelming, at least to me looking at it. How do you stay productive throughout the day? A lot of great people uh, in my office who have different responsibilities, but they work together as a great team. So they ensure I'm prepared, uh, well prepared in advance for all of the different responsibilities I have. And so they're always planning well ahead and working together to ensure that for example, the materials that are in my file uh, that I'm ready to go. So every day um, in the late afternoon, I'll get a large binder with files for all of my appointments uh, and responsibilities the next day. And so, as I say, they've worked hard to ensure that those materials are what I need. And then I usually take those home with me uh, in the evening and after dinner, I'll sit down and go through those materials and get prepared for the next day. Sometimes that preparation is relatively brief. Uh, sometimes it takes uh, a little more time depending upon the nature of the activities the next day. But it's really the product of a great team that's always looking ahead. And now being four years into the job, they know what I need. They know what, uh, what things you know, I don't need much of to, to be ready to hit go and others what they need to do much further in advance. So it's a team effort. They uh, they do a wonderful job in making me look good. 
Yeah, I was talking to your assistant, Stephanie, and um, I believe your assistant, she was wonderful helping me out and uh, sending her the questions. She was good at asking questions to get you fully prepared. It was it was amazing talking to her. She made it very easy and I, it was almost too easy. I was like, are you sure? Is this actually going to happen? Am I actually going to talk to President Burns? Yeah, but she, Steph- she was wonderful. Yeah. So Ste- as they say, they have different. So Stephanie, you know, kind of really organizes the day to day activities, mm-hmm. manages my schedule, manages events, uh, even manages the, you know, the university home uh, that I live in. I have somebody else who helps me prepare remarks when I have to either give remarks in an event or di- give a speech at commencement or convocation. Um, there's uh, other folks here in the office who are managing correspondence and the files and you know all the paperwork. So as I say, I've got a good team and they they keep me on track. That's awesome. Kind of moving the conversation into the main portion of this talk. What what do you believe is important in life? Well, so that's a that's a pretty profound question, uh, Hunter. So to me, as as uh, the responsibilities I have professionally uh, all derive from my family and my parents. So uh, my father was the first in our family to go to college, and then he dedicated the rest of his life, 40 years, to higher education. Um, and so um, he instilled in all of us, I'm, I'm one of nine kids, and uh, oh, wow. he instilled in all of us the value of education and the power of higher education to not only transform that individual student's life, but to change the, to fundamentally change the trajectory of, uh, of their whole family uh, and for generations to come. And, and I'm the beneficiary of the education he received. So are my five children. And I now have one grandson and he's gonna be the beneficiary of that. So they instilled in us, my parents instilled in us a real appreciation for the power, the transformative power of education. And then also the importance of public service. Uh, my mother raised nine kids. And after she was done raising nine kids, she actually went into local politics. She was um, elected to city council for 10 years. She was also then the first woman to be elected mayor of Shaker Heights, Ohio. So she instilled in us the importance of serving others, that intersection between education and public service. And both of them, uh, I would describe, you're familiar with the term servant leadership. Uh, That's who they were. They understood that the responsibility that we have in positions of responsibility, it's about enabling the the success of other people through your service to them. So that's what's important to me. Uh, both of my parents have passed away, but uh, when throughout my career, um, my goal was always to make them proud, to honor their the gifts that they provided to me uh, by honoring them with my hard work and my service to other people. And now I see it as my responsibility to ensure that I that I uh, handle hand off that set of values, that that character, to my own children. And if I can do that, if I can be the one, if I can be the conduit, if I can be the link between my parents to my children, then I will feel satisfied with what I did with my life. That is awesome. Well, I think you've exceeded being a university president, going to Yale University. There's many things that uh, I think you've done wonderful job seriously as a student at Ball State. Like I see when things were getting chaotic and COVID was coming around and arising and, you know, everyone was kind of panicking, like, are we still going to college? What's happening? And then there was like 
a huge letter that came out. There was videos explaining everything. It just was super simple. And it made uh, at least me and a lot of other students calm down and be like, okay, we got this. It's just going to be online for a little bit. I think you did, you've done a wonderful job, even through the chaotic stuff that have happened. Thank you. Well, and you know, that one of the things that, that I do understand is in times of uncertainty and anxiety, communicating is important and communicating the information and then communicating a sense, a sense of, yeah, it's going to be a challenge, but it's going to be all right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, How do you stay positive through tough times? Like when COVID hit, like, I feel like there was an overwhelming of negativity, so to say, and a lot of people, how do you stay positive through tough situations? Well, so, you know, again, I knew I had a strong team behind me. Mm-hmm. Also, um, my, I'm innately kind of a, an optimistic person. Uh, you know, I have a sense of enthusiasm or passion for what, they, for what, uh, for what we do. The other thing is um, I was a competitive athlete. I was a, a competitive distance runner all through high school, college, and beyond, and, and uh, also ran some, uh, some competitive marathons. And if you've ever run that far or participated in competition, athletic competition, what you know is you're going to have ups and downs. And there are going to be times when whatever your activity, there are going to be days when it just seems that no matter what shot you take, the ball is going in the basket. And then there are times in a game where no matter what you do, it seems like the ball will never go in. Or the same thing in a marathon, there are times when, believe it or not, even running 26 miles, there's times when it feels really good. And then as you probably can imagine, there are times when it feels not so good. <laughs> yeah. And what you learn is, um, is to not let those highs get you too high and not let those lows get you too low. Uh, I learned that also as that same uh, attitude helped you through trials, you know, in, in, in litigation trials, in courtrooms. You know, there are days where you had good days and, and days when you had bad days. Um, and so, you know, when the COVID... Uh, that it hit actually after kind of the initial reactions. And when we were kind of more in April or May of last year, you know, we were meeting regularly as a team every day. Now, not necessarily in person, but we were on the phone doing Mm -hmm. video conferences like this every day. And I remember one day just shared that message with the team that, you know, this was going to be, even though none of us knew how long it was going to be, knew that this was going to be much more of a marathon than a sprint and just tried to, help my teammates understand the mentality that was needed. And the one thing that I shared with them is what was different about this is unlike a marathon where you know exactly how long it is, where you are and where, how much more to the finish line, we didn't know where the finish line was going to be. But what I said to him is we, while we don't know where the finish line will be, we know we're only going to get there if we keep putting one foot in front of the other. As soon as we stop, We'll never get to the finish line wherever it is. So we, you know, we rallied each other. We supported each other. Um, I could tell you story after story about the way our team and the way the team all across campus and the way our students rallied. And so what, what, what makes me stay positive is just my innate confidence in the strength of the character of the people here at our university. Yeah, I, um, I very much like that. I've always been told growing up that you want to surround your people you want to surround yourself with people that are like-minded that are going to be able to help you that are where you want to be or are just helping you in life and not bringing you back. So I think that that's exactly what you're describing. Yeah, Surround yourself with people who want to go after it as opposed yeah. to people 
people want to wring their hands and bemoan their fate. Um, you know, there, there was a time early on when I had a conversation with my wife and I said, you know what, um, I'm, you know, I didn't really sign up for this. You know, this was early in the pandemic and, and, uh, and my wife is a great, uh, great partner. And she said, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Anyone can lead in easy times, right? Anyone can steer the boat when the water is calm. Yeah. She said, you know, leaders, and, it, and this was true all across our campus, we stepped up as leaders in difficult times and we did sign up for it. And frankly, as difficult as it's been, uh, I have no regrets. I feel fortunate that I was here to participate in this collective effort. Yeah, it, um, again, it was just amazing job on how everything happened. The precaution to safety, I think it was the right move and it's it possibly saved many lives. I mean, you never know, but the precautions that you guys took could in the long run, you, no one knows, but saved lives, helped people that could have gotten really sick and went through a lot of things. So I think it was a, a right move at the right time. Yeah. And our students, you know, we developed those protocols, but those were, you know, that's like saying, you know, that if you establish the speed limit on the road, you're responsible for no accidents. No, the person who's responsible is the people who are abiding by. And so it really was a remarkable job uh, by our students who understood the importance of their uh, discipline, their determination. It without our students, we wouldn't have gotten through it the way we did. Which leads me on to the next question. How would you define success? Yeah, so, um, you know, sometimes people uh, equate success with making lots of money or a fancy title or, you know, notoriety or fame. How many followers do you have on TikTok or whatever the, yeah. whatever the thing that you, <laughs> folks your, day, you, your age are still listening to? But as I shared um, in commencement, to me, and actually it's, it's reflected in our mission statement. We, we were very intentional. Our mission statement uh, doesn't say that we want our students to have professional success. Our goal for you is to prepare our students to have, find professional fulfillment. And fulfillment is different than success. You know, sometimes success can often be fleeting. You know, one day you're making money, the next day you don't. Uh, or one day you've got an impressive title, the next day you don't. But people can find fulfillment without those external trappings, with those things that can be temporary, that can be hollow. You can find fulfillment by serving for 30 years as a kindergarten teacher. You can find fulfillment by serving for 30 years as a firefighter. Uh, you can find fulfillment. And so we want, uh, how I define success is enabling the success and the fulfillment uh, of other people. That's why, that's why we're here. I knew you would say something like that. I knew just from, I had originally this idea came to put, have you on the podcast was my friend, my roommate, Trevor, he, you came to his class and he was in criminal justice. I can't remember the class, but you talked in the class. And I'm like, you know what? It'd be a good idea to try to get president Mearns. And I knew the humble guy you are that that's why I asked the question. I knew you were going to give some good advice on that, that it wasn't, I hear about like people our age, I feel like are always like, it's about try to get more money, try to do this, try to get, you know, a Lamborghini, some crazy cars or something like that. And it's just like, that's the wrong, that's the, that's such the wrong way. You got to do what you're passionate about. You don't hate your job nine to five and then go home. It's like, 
I, I think that exactly how you said it, you should go after what you're passionate and what fulfills you. And fulfillment is by, is I find it to be gratifying when I see other people succeed, like at commencement. I mean, even though it was a different kind of commencement ceremony to know that, you know, more than 2000 students, probably closer to 3000 students uh, were achieving the next step in their own professional dream, in their own personal dream. And for us as, as members of the faculty, staff or administration, playing a role in that uh, is incredibly gratifying, rewarding. Absolutely. Which leads me to your question, how, how did you find your purpose? So, um, it, 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 you know, and, and that's another thing I shared is, you know, those, those, that evolves over time, right? Yeah. And, you know, as we shared, you shared with me earlier before we went on the recording that your hope is your next step is to, is to be a fighter, firefighter. And that's a, that's a wonderful uh, career aspiration in terms of serving and, and protecting others. But I found, um, you know, I, when I graduated from college, I first was an English teacher, high school English teacher for a while, and then went to law school. And so um, I wanted to be involved in public service. And I knew to me, for me, as a working in the United States Department of Justice, that that was going to be uh, fulfilling and, and rewarding. I never thought I would get into higher education. Uh, again, my father was in higher education for 40 years, uh, and I had great respect for what he did and what other professors do, but I really enjoyed being in the courtroom. And it, it just occurred by happenstance that I was encouraged and invited to apply to be the Dean of the Law School at Cleveland State. And as I say, it never, uh, it never really occurred to me that that would be a pathway that I would go. Um, and I spent some time thinking about it because I loved being a trial lawyer. I loved uh, being in that role and, and, and serving others in that respect. Uh, I decided to do it, but I thought I was going to do it temporarily. I thought I would do it for five or six years. That would be rewarding. And then I'd go back into practicing law, maybe um, get back into public service in the Justice Department or something like that. Uh, and then what I found when I was in higher education was was how rewarding it was um, that I ha was having an impact, uh, I believe a constructive impact on thousands and thousands of students. And as I said earlier, when I reflect on the, the, the impact that one education for my father, what that had on all of his children and then my children and for generations to come, when I look out over a commencement stage over a two day period and I see thousands and thousands of people it, to me, it, I, just, I just envision what the multiplier effect is going to be, what those people are going to do. And so it became, uh, it became tremendously rewarding, uh, rewarding to me. And I'll, I'll share just one anecdote. So when I was the provost at Cleveland State, it was the first commencement ceremony where I was the provost at Cleveland State. And, you know, Cleveland State has a lot of traditional students, you know, so the graduates were 21, 22, 23. But there also was what you would describe as non-traditional students. And I'll never forget, it was my first commencement ceremony as provost sitting in the front row. You know, they're calling all the names one after the other. And there was an elderly black woman who, whose name was called wearing, a, uh, you know, wearing cap and gown. And as she walked across the stage, there was a tear rolling down her cheek. I mean, and it just, it, I, I don't recall her name. 
I don't didn't real at the time know anything about her, but what I saw in just that five or ten seconds was I knew that this woman had achieved an extraordinary dream. That that the education she had received at Cleveland State was something that was so profoundly important to her and her family that it caused her literally to weep as she got her diploma. And wow. when I saw that, I was like, it, I don't know what her, I don't know what her dream was. I don't know what the challenges that she faced, but I now know that every time a student walks across that stage, no matter what age they are, no matter what program, that they've all come to the institution with an aspiration, with a dream, they've faced some challenges and notwithstanding those challenges, they've gotten to this point and they're now on a launching pad to something to something greater for themselves and their family. Doesn't get much better than that. That's that's awesome. Just I can tell that uh, the way you're talking, your tonality and your body language that you truly love what you do. And uh, again, it's wonderful having you as a president. I want to be respectful of your time. So I'll, I'll end just with a couple quick questions. Sure. Do you have any book or podcast recommendations? So I'll give you the uh, recommendation to a um, to a not a not a well-known book. Okay. It's called it's called Run to the Roar. Run to okay. the Roar. Okay. So it's written by a former college uh, athletic coach. He was a coach at Trinity College, small private school in the Northeast, and he was a squash coach, right? Not a football coach, not somebody anybody's ever heard of, but he was the he is arguably the most successful college coach in the history of our country. I think during his tenure there, uh, Trinity squash team won something like 16, 18, 20 NCAA titles, right? Oh, wow. But the premise of his book, the premise of the book that the title comes from, uh, derives from how lions hunt their prey. Huh. Okay. So the way the lions hunt their prey is the, the lions go in, in, you know, in a pack, right? And they're very... Um, they're very family oriented, right? They, the pack stays together. So it has young lion cubs, it has lions in their prime, and it also has elderly lions who, are, who can't really hunt well. So what they do is that the hunters send the old, older lions out to the far end of the field, right? They surrounded this field with their prey. The prey can't see them, they're hiding in the grass. They send the elderly lions over to the far side and at it, at at uh, some point, the elderly lions get up and roar. And as a result of the roar, the prey run the other way, right? Uh, yeah. And the prey run into the teeth of the hunters. Uh. So the premise of the book is if you want to excel, you don't run away from the roar. You run to the roar. You run to those things. You do those things day in and day out that make you uncomfortable. So if you want to be, I don't know, pick your athlete, right? If you want to be a great basketball player, but, you know, but you're, and you have this uh, one skill that's really good and one that you don't like, right? What do you do? You tend to practice the skill that you're good at. Yeah. As opposed to confronting that, which makes you anxious or nervous or that you're not good at. And so his philosophy about life is find those things that make you uncomfortable, that make you anxious, make you afraid, that challenge you and pursue those, you know, work on those skills, run to the roar, do those things that make you uncomfortable because that will make you well-rounded, that will enable you to overcome your fears and, and to be successful. So 
It's an obscure book. You probably don't need to read it. You now understand the premise. <laughs> but uh, my father gave me that book uh, many, many years ago. And it's, you know, it's, try, it's a philosophy I've tried to, uh, to embrace, doing those things that make me uncomfortable, having the courage to do that which makes you uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I love that advice. I'm being um, entrepreneurial. Actually, it's now entrepreneurship and innovation, the major now, uh, like you're saying, run to the world. It's kind of daunting and scary running this, trying to figure out a whole business. But it, like you said, like just running towards what makes you scared and uncomfortable. And I've grown, I mean, like I'm talking to our university president right now. Like, was I a little nervous beforehand? Yes. But like, I had this opportunity to get to talk to you, which was just amazing and spectacular. I love your advice on that. Um, And I love hearing it over and over. So I know every day just to get uncomfortable, get out of my comfort zone, do what I love and try to make the most of today. Absolutely. Um, Do you have any last words of advice before we leave this episode. Well, no, Hunter, I appreciate the opportunity to, I thank you for the invitation to join you. I always uh, really enjoy engaging with our students. As I say, I'm looking forward to the time when I can be out walking much more on campus and visiting classes and and going to events. So I appreciate the uh, invitation. I wish you good luck. Hope you have a, a really good summer and hope we'll be able to get together in person when you get back here in August. Absolutely. Thank you for your time, President Mearns. You're welcome, honey. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye.